Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm glad that the scripture was read from John chapter 1 because that's where we're going to be today. Um, In fact, both of the scriptures from John 1 we'll be talking about today because it explains why God became a man. You know, Matthew has its Christmas story. Luke has its Christmas story. And Mark does not have a Christmas story. And some people would say that John does not have a Christmas story, but actually John does have a Christmas story in chapter 1. It's just a theological perspective on Christmas. It explains the theology of Christmas, not with the props of a baby and a manger and uh, wise men and angels and all those things, but it tells you the meaning and significance of why Christmas is. Now, Christmas is really a silly holiday unless you understand what John is saying. Think about it. Think about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a reindeer with a red nose that glows in the dark and flies through the air with him and other oddly named reindeer. Think of a jolly fat man who fits down chimneys somehow, not just in American homes, but around the world, which most of the world does not have chimneys. And somehow, in the space of a night, he is able to give gifts to children all over the world with a flying sled. You hear songs about snow, and it doesn't snow here, and sleigh bells. Have you ever heard sleigh bells on the streets of Dallas? I haven't either. Have you ever roasted chestnuts on an open flame? Anybody ever done that here? Um... So what in the world are we doing and singing about and celebrating? I've come to the conclusion that what most people are doing is worshiping Christmas itself. They're worshiping Christmas itself. That's like taking a present that's so beautifully wrapped with wonderful gift paper and tinsel and bows and ribbons and saying, look at this beautiful package. It's Look at the glitter on it. Look at the picture of the angels on there. And, and look at the ribbon. And Somebody really put a lot of effort into this package. Wow, that's just beautiful. And then throwing it away. And that's what I think most of the world, especially in American culture, has done with Christmas. We worship the package, but we don't bother to open it and look inside to see what it is that somebody has given to us a very, very special gift. And unless we understand what happened at Christmas time, and what we call Christmas time, we will never understand why we're celebrating it and uh, and celebrate it for the right reasons. Of course, we like Christmas because we get all the food and all the gifts, and we get to see family, and we get time off from work, and all of those things. We like to sing the popular songs, and uh, but Christmas is really much more than that. You know, there's a lot of TV programs about the Christmas miracle, and it, it always seems that 
magical things happen at Christmas. As if we had to add to the meaning that God has already given to us in the miracle that has already happened. And so, you know, have, you have somebody that's been missing for a long time and suddenly restored, or two people who are lonely suddenly fall in love, or uh, the miracle of 34th Street, you know, he really is Santa Claus. All these miracles are supposed to happen at Christmas. Um, you know, toys uh, come alive and dance and all this crazy stuff. And that makes us sometimes miss the real miracle that happened at Christmas time when God, and this is it, God stepped out of heaven into or became a human body, took on a body of flesh, and lived with us. Now, why did he do that? When we understand why he did that, we understand what we, God really wants us to understand at this time we call Christmas. We're not just admiring the package, but we're opening it and appreciating what God has done for us. Well, in John chapter 1, I want to give you five reasons that Jesus became a man from the text here. Five reasons that God became a man. And the first is in verses 1 through 3, which were read to you, I believe. It talks about the Word from the beginning. Of course, beginning, meaning there is really no beginning in eternity, but from eternity past or from forever, there was the Word. Now, what does he mean when he says the Word? Uh, Logos, in the original language, has the idea of an expression or a message that is given. God gave us a message, and the message was with God from all eternity, and in fact, verse 1 says, that message was God. The Word was God. Now, of course, we know that this is speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was with God forever. He is the expression of God's love towards us. It goes on to say that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, if Jesus Christ is our creator, then he indeed must be God. In fact, he created everything to show that he is deity. And when someone creates everything, he owns that creation. And he has a special connection to that creation. When you labor hard to make a craft or an art or build a building or whatever it is, you, you feel a special connection to it and, uh, and even an affection for it depending on what it is. And then in verse 3, in him was life. So in this word, this message from God, God in the flesh was life. And why was that necessary? Because man had plunged into death. Even though God created us perfectly in a perfect world, because of our disobedience and our father Adam, we inherited his sin that has separated us from God. We live in a spiritual separation called spiritual death. And because of that, we need life, spiritual life, new life. And that life was the light of men in a dark, dark, cold world. We have Jesus Christ who came as life. And light, I think, represents not only the character of God, but everything good, everything manifested about him, and also hope. Because when things are light, that's when we have the greatest hope. Aren't things usually darkest and uh, dreariest about two or three in the morning when you lay, lay awake in bed? and think, 
and the world just doesn't seem quite so friendly at that time. But then the sun comes up and you're assured that once again, uh, things are going to be fine. At least that's the way it is with me. When I can't sleep, I lay there in the middle of the night and the world doesn't seem so good. And then I wake up in the morning and the sun comes up and everything's going to be fine. So Jesus comes as that kind of light into our darkness. And he's God's message of love to us. And what better way could God communicate his love for us than to become one of us and communicate that in a way that we would understand? Now, I could have a pet chicken. I don't. I don't want a pet chicken. But let's say I have a pet chicken, and I love that chicken to death. I can tell the chicken I love it. I can feed it, and to a degree it might sense that I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to maybe like it. Although he might live in fear of being fried someday. How do I communicate to that chicken that I really do love that chicken and going to take care of it and all the days of its life? I would probably have to become a chicken and speak in chicken language, whatever that is, to communicate exactly what I want to communicate. Well, for centuries and millennia, People understood from the Word of God that God loved them, but it took on a much greater significance when, in the fullness of times, God became a man and lived among us and looked us in the eye. And we could see him, and we could see not and hear his words of love, but not only that, see his deeds of love and how he treated other people. You know, most of the world worships gods that they cannot see. They have to construct them with their hands out of clay or metal or wood, uh, whatever. But only very infrequently do they stop to think, if I'm making this god with my hands, who made me? We have a creator, these verses tell us. He created all things. They create the idols, but who created them? Well, of course, Jesus Christ created them. And because of that, he actually owns them, in a sense, and wants the best for them and wants to restore them to God, his Father's original purpose. So one of the reasons that Jesus became a man, or God became a man, is that he came here to, uh, because he cares about us. Since he made us, he cares about us. And he wants to bring life to us and light to us to give us new life and to restore us in our harmony with God, in our fellowship with God, in our relationship with God, to bring us out of darkness into light and out of death into life. Well, he goes on in verse 4, and I think we see another reason why God became a man, where he says in verse 4, um, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. I, I think I already read that. And the light shines in darkness. Darkness did not comprehend it. So he wanted to bring life and light to people. Not only did he care, want to show that he cared about us, but he wanted to bring light and life to people. Uh, we were dead in sin. We were separated. We did not have spiritual life. We were in darkness, in a dark world. And then he came. But verses 10 through 12 tell us the reception that he got. Verse 10 says, he was in the world, Jesus was in the world, 
and the world was made through him, again, and the world did not know him. We're reminded that he created the world, but in spite of that fact, the world still did not know him. Even though Romans chapter 1 tells us the world reflects God's attributes in its power and its order and its design, we see God in, in creation, and still the world did not know him. They chose to worship things made by hands, things that were created by the hands of man. How could something created by the hands of man ever create and design a flower, a hummingbird, all the wonderful miracles that we see around us? So he came, but the world didn't recognize him. Even though we share the characteristics and we see the attributes of God in this world, he came to his own. I think this speaks to the Jewish people. He came to the Jewish people to whom he had been promised for thousands of years. He had been promised to come through the seed of Abraham, the father of the Jews. But they didn't receive him. They didn't welcome him. They didn't want him. They didn't recognize him. But because of their rejection of their Jewish Messiah, Jesus opened the door so that anyone who would believe in him could become a child of God. And that's what verse 12 is saying. But as many as received him, now to receive means, has the idea of welcoming somebody, being open to somebody, and then he defines it later. To those he gave, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So to receive Christ really means to believe in him believe his promises, to receive them as truth, appropriate them as truth in our lives. So he wanted to bring men and women to light and life because they are people that he loves. So the first reason we saw is he wanted uh, to restore his creation. And then this reason that we've just explained is he wants to bring light and life to people. He does not want us to live in darkness and ignorance, but in recognition of who he is. A third reason of why God became man, I think, is in verse 14, one of my favorite verses. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word, still not called Jesus, but we know he's talking about Jesus, especially here because it says the word became flesh. So God's message to us became flesh and took on a body and dwelt among us. He became a part of the human race and lived and breathed and felt like we felt, feel and hungered like we hunger. He wept like we wept. He lived among us. Uh, he slept. Uh, he had family, and that's the significance of his birth in a manger is that he actually was born like a baby, not like, well, virgin birth to be sure, but still going through the birth canal and causing his mother pain because uh, um, I don't think they probably had the epidural shot back in, the, back in those days, ladies, and, uh, and went all through all of that, grew up as a child, and learned, I'm sure he had to learn some things, even as a, even as a baby. 
because the scriptures tell us, if you remember when we studied Philippians chapter 2, that God humbled himself and he laid aside some of his glory and attributes so that he could become like us and be our servant. Well, it says he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The idea of glory is the manifestation of all that God is. Uh, even though it was subdued or partially limited, voluntarily limited in Jesus Christ, we saw the glory of God in the things that he did and the miracles that he did and the wonderful attributes that he had and sometimes actually in a glorified uh, state. And he calls him here the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The, the only begotten has the idea of uniqueness from God. He is not inferior to God. He is a unique expression of God as the Son of God and reflects the glory of his Father. And then it says at the end of verse 14, he was full of grace and truth. This is a wonderful phrase. Of course, you understand what grace means. Grace is an undeserved favor of God. It's something that we as sinners do not deserve and yet is given to us freely. Not on any kind of condition, not on any kind of if you do this or but you must do this, but just given to us. And so Jesus Christ is an expression of God's grace towards us, an undeserved gift. And, and not only that, but notice it says he is full of grace. So he's kind of like a grace to the max. I mean, there was grace that the Jewish people understood under the Old Testament law, and, uh, and any common person can show grace towards another person, but he was full of grace. He was the complete revelation of God's grace. What greater expression could there be than that the God, our creator, the God of the universe, would come to us, would come to us unconditionally as we are, not because we're good, but because we are needy, because we're sinners, because we uh, need to be reconciled to him. And by his own initiative, he gives us of himself full, someone who is full of grace. And so grace is, is how God expresses his love to us. The Bible says, as John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. But you know that love is really ineffectual until it is communicated to us. So how is love communicated to us? It's through the channel of grace, the free gift of God that came in Jesus Christ. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good, not when we reformed ourselves, not when we changed our lives, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. The other thing it says in verse 14, he's not only full of grace, but he's also full of truth. So Jesus represents truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. So everything about him is true. One of the tough things about truth is that it's brutally honest sometimes, and it tells us our problem. But unless we understand the problem, we really can't find or appreciate a solution. So what is our problem? The truth of God is that we're sinners. And Jesus came to remind us of that. 
He told people they would die in their sin. He told people what would happen, that uh, they would be judged if they didn't believe in him. I think the best expression of this, or best illustration of this, is in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, in the encounter with the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus here is told by the leaders, this woman was found in adultery, you have to stone her, because the law said stone her. Uh, and, of course, Jesus you know, asked them some questions, wrote something on the ground. We don't really know what it is. The point is, is that those leaders started to leave and walk away because they understood they weren't any better, I think, than this woman in their hypocrisy and their sin, whether she had really sinned or not. It seems like she had because here's what Jesus said to her. He said, remember, go and sin no more. The grace is in the fact that he let her go. The grace is in the fact that he knew someday he would pay for that sin on the cross and she could therefore go free, even though the law demanded she die. The truth is in the fact that he said, sin no more. He didn't excuse the sin. He didn't condone it. He recognized the sin and he said, sin no more. So Jesus, full of grace and truth, his message to us is that we're all sinners and we can die in our sins. But he came to do something about that. He came to appease God's justice to bring us back together, to take care of that sin that separated us from God, and to bring us back together with our Creator. That's the brutal, honest truth. We're sinners, but the wonderful grace of God that God took care of the problem in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you see, God had to become a man in order to pay that price because the Old Testament, under the law, and even before the law, required that something die in order for something to be forgiven or to live. And so animal sacrifices were given for provisional forgiveness under the Old Testament, and they anticipated the future coming perfect sacrifice. But something always had to be paid for sins. Well, Animals, the book of Hebrews tells us, the blood of bulls and goats really don't take away sin. They just anticipate the final and perfect sacrifice that will take away sin. And that perfect sacrifice is Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus Christ had to become 100% man while he remained 100% God. I know that mathematically doesn't sound correct, but then if you're God, you can make that kind of math work. God can be 100% man, and man can be 100% God if you're in, in, together in Jesus Christ. But he had to be a man so that he could give his life as that sacrifice, and his blood, representing his death, would then pay for all of our sins on the cross. So as a man, he could die. As God, he could raise from the dead. As a man, he could satisfy God's justice. As God, he could offer us the gift of eternal life. So it was very important that Jesus becomes a man. He wants us to experience grace and truth both, not one or the other. And not the wrong idea about grace, that it's just God dispenses it, uh, dispenses it unconditionally, but not in the sense of what some people call cheap grace or costly grace, which means that we really have to do something to deserve it or show that we deserve it. Uh, it is absolutely free. 
The work has been done. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant the price was paid in full. So he wants to show us the Father's grace and truth. That's the third reason God became a man. And the fourth reason I see in this passage comes from verses 16 and 17. He wanted to fulfill and replace the Mosaic law. Verse 16 says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, of his fullness we have all received, this fullness of grace and truth, the fullness of God in Jesus Christ, the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We've received that, and grace for grace. Uh, But then he compares Jesus with Moses in verse 17, because under Moses came the law, but under Jesus Christ uh, is grace and truth. Again, those words repeated. Now, when he says grace for grace, some Bibles read that as grace upon grace. I think the NIV says one blessing after another. But after looking at the original language here and studying this, what I actually think this is saying is that grace instead of grace, the grace of Jesus Christ instead of the grace that was under the law, because the grace of Jesus Christ far exceeds the grace that was under the law. Under the law, there was grace. There was the sacrificial system that allowed people to have their sins uh, temporarily or provisionally forgiven. There was uh, cities of refuge where people could flee to and not be harmed. If they murdered somebody or killed somebody, they could flee to a city of refuge and not be harmed. There were uh, offerings and laws that that told how to take care of poor people and uh, servants and things like that. So there was grace under the law, under the Mosaic law. However, when he says grace for grace, really it could be translated with the, the, the Greek word there is anti. So it's grace in place of, or grace instead of grace. So the grace that was under the law, as nice as it was, was replaced by what I call a tsunami of grace from Jesus Christ. And again, the illustration of that is with the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. The law, the grace under the law said, yes, you have to stone her. Well, there wasn't really much grace there for her. You had to stone her. But Jesus replaced that with, the, with his grace, and the fullness of his grace was just go and sin no more because he knew he was going to be paying the price for her sin on the cross very, very shortly. So he wants us to, he wanted to fulfill and replace the Mosaic law. Um, There's much more grace under Jesus Christ than there ever was under the law. And so today you and I are not under the law of Moses or under any law except for the law of Christ, which is to love one another. That's That's the command that he left us, the new commandment he left us. And he says, if you love one another, you fulfill all the law. Because if you, and if you love God with all your heart, you won't do anything to hurt him. If you love one another, you won't do anything to hurt each other. So love fulfills the law. And when Jesus said it is finished, I think he was referring to not only was the law paid, but the sin debt that law brought upon us was also paid once and for all, totally paid. Jesus wants us to live under grace and not law. Now, we're not Jewish, so we never really received the Mosaic law, but he wants us as Christians to live under 
the grace of God and not under a set of rules, which we would today call legalism, thinking that we can earn God's favor by doing things when we already have his favor by virtue of the fact that we are sons of God through Jesus Christ. So to live under grace means that we don't live by a set of rules and do's or don'ts in order to be blessed by God, but we have been blessed by God and we can respond by being obedient to the things he wants us to do. Now, it's different from the law because the law said, obey and you'll be blessed. Grace says you're blessed, therefore obey. So nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more than he loved us. And Jesus did what we could never do. He paid the ultimate price and sacrifice for our sins. And that's why God became a man. And the fifth and final reason God became a man is he wanted to show us the Father. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So, no one has seen God at any time. For example, you remember the account of Moses going up on Mount Sinai seeing the burning bush. He didn't see God. He saw a burning bush. It was a manifestation, a divine manifestation. It set his face glowing. They saw God's leadership in the pillar of fire and the cloud, but they never saw God himself. They would go into the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle over the Ark of the Covenant, and they would see glory, but they never saw God himself. To see God himself would require or allow a greater degree of intimacy. You see, I could preach this same sermon from my my, uh, living room easy chair to you this morning just through the the modern uh, technology that we have. But it's different when you see me in person. There's a, a deeper intimacy. You see my expressions. You see my body language. I see you sleeping. I see you laughing. <laughs> I see you. I, 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 there's a deeper connection when you see somebody in the flesh, in, the, in person. And just as an off thing, you know, an offshoot, uh, there's a lot of online learning going on, a lot of friends and pastors uh, doing online studies. And, and you know, I, it's wonderful that we have online education available. It gives people opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have, but I think there's still, they need to recognize there's a missing element there and not having the face-to-face contact of a professor every day that you can watch and observe and have lunch with and pop into his office and ask questions. And those are the kinds of things I enjoyed in my education. But anyway, getting back to our subject here. We actually see God in Jesus Christ. God is spirit and he's invisible. And you know somebody better when you can see them and observe them and actually live with that person. John, uh, Jesus had to tell Thomas in John chapter 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. The way you see me acting and the responding and the truth that I'm teaching and the miracles that I'm doing, uh, what more can you ask as a revelation of your heavenly Father? So God became a man because he wants us to know and see him, our Father, but through the person of Jesus Christ. 
And in Jesus, we see that power that God the Father has. We see the love that God has for us. We see the grace that he extends to us. Salvation absolutely free. That's the Christmas story according to John chapter 1. It's not just a baby in a manger. That's part of the story. But that baby grew to become a man and to show us God in the flesh so that we could know him better, so that he could die for us in our place. Jesus at Christmas time was born so that he could die. Is that the message that you hear in Elf and Santa Claus and Santa Claus 2 and what picture movie? Is that the message that you hear in all the tinsel and, and presents and gifts and shopping and advertisements, everything about Christmas? Or are we just fascinated with the wrapping on the gift so much that we forget to open it and see what's inside? So, friends, what we see when we open that gift is that God sent us his son. And in that son was life and light for us. A new life of being born again into God's family and light as hope for the future and a new way of seeing this world, a new perspective. But light that shows us there's more to come in the future. Now we can come to God and be born again and instead of stumbling through this dark world, live above it in, a, in the light of God's love, the light of God's truth. Yeah, it is about the baby and we should celebrate that part of it. Everyone has to have a birthday. But don't forget, Jesus left this world as an adult, and he said, I'm coming back. And the next time he comes back, it will not be as a baby, it will not be as a sacrifice, it will not be as a savior. It will be as a judge and as a king. And I can't help but get the fullest meaning of Christmas when I think about Christmas except to think about if God kept all of his promises in the Old Testament that Jesus would be born as a baby in Bethlehem, that there are the promises that he would also come back as king. And there are more promises about his second coming than his first coming. Let's remember that, the significance of Christmas, that God became a man to show us his love, to bring us into his family, and to someday be under his rule forever. I trust today that Christmas means more to you than just the gifts and the other trappings that we see around us. I trust that today you've experienced that life in your own life, that you've been born again by the Spirit of God, and that you're living in that light with the full assurance that God loves you and wants you to be with him forever. Because that's what Christmas is really all about. Let's have a word of prayer. And so, our Father, we thank you so much because it is nice 
once a year to celebrate the birth of Jesus. That was a miracle. But his life was a miracle, and what he did for us was a miracle. In dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead, and then offering us who are sinners the free gift of eternal life, what love and what grace is behind God, Emmanuel, God with us. If there's anyone in the sound of my voice who does not know for certain that they have eternal life, may they come to you today and receive that free gift of eternal life that you provided through Jesus Christ. And thank you at this moment for that gift that you will never take back, that you will they will have a secure home in eternity with you forever. And may they just thank you, thank you for the gift of eternal life brought to us through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.